Well, I hope you all have been enjoying our sermon series as we're going through the book of Romans. It's quite a powerful, impactful uh, book in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul to the young Christian church in the capital city of Rome. And, uh, and as we recall, the, the primary purpose of the book of Romans is to, is to herald the newness of life that is ours in Christ Jesus, uh, where it comes from, how it's received, and how it has worked into our lives. And today we um, are building upon last week. Remember what we looked at last week? Paul asked a question along the lines of of this. Um, Since God responds to our sin by giving us even more grace, then why don't we just continue on sinning? After all, he's a God of grace and he's pledged to forgive us. Remember what Paul said? Paul said, heck no, (laughs) may it never be. And do you remember the reason why he gave us? He says, he says, do you not know? Do you not know about your union with Christ? Do you not know that you, your life is hidden in Christ? That as Christ died on the cross, you were with him. As he rose to newness of life, you were there with him. So therefore, we're to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Remember that from last week? Well, Paul builds upon that. He, he in, At the beginning of our passage today, there's a similar question. And once again, he says, heck no. And once again, he says something, do you not know? But it's something different this morning. He takes a different tack. He says, do you not know that you have a new master? To all of us that are gathered here this morning, who is your master? You know you serve someone or something. To whom or what do you bow in obedience? We're looking at Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from the sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you want to know God, if you want to know his will, If we want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we thank you that you give us this word. It, it really utterly shatters the, the, the mindset of our world and culture today. We think we're free, but we're really not. But in Christ Jesus, there is freedom. And he calls us to an obedience. Help us understand what that looks like. Uh, help us to, to see what it means to follow the good shepherd, to, to walk in his ways, to, to be yoked with him. And um, be with us this morning as we study these words and press them into our hearts and minds, we pray. Amen. Well, before we get too far along, I need to address a word. It appears eight times in our passage. It's the word slaves. Now, when we hear the word slaves, we, we instantly think of the horrible slave trade that was present in Europe and in the Americas really not all that long ago when men traveled to Africa and brutally uh, captured and shipped Africans off and had them sold at, at auctions to the highest bidder. When Paul uses the word slaves, that is not um, what he is referring to. In Paul's day, especially in the urban centers, people sold themselves into slavery as a means of livelihood. Research shows that an estimated one-third of the population in Corinth um, were slaves in this manner. People in dire circumstances could sell themselves into slavery, into bond servanthood, in order to, to gain a livelihood, to be clothed and fed and have a place to live. And it's true that most who sold themselves into slavery over a period of time saved enough money to purchase their own freedom. And even then, they often stayed on to serve their master. Now, collectively we go, whew, that's salt. <laughs> but guess what? We have even bigger fish to fry in our passage here this morning. In chapter 6, Paul is addressing a typical pushback against the gospel. You Christians say that God forgives all sins, past, present, and future, and, and, that, and that when a Christian sins, God has already chosen to pour out his grace upon that person? So, so being free from any sort of law or moral rules, why not just sin since you're under grace? Once again, Paul says in verse 15, he says, heck no, not exactly, but in the Greek that's kind of what it says. Verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. And then Paul goes on to give his explanation and his answer. And his point hits us between the eyes. He tells us something that we would readily wish to reject. But if we would receive it, it would change our lives forever. Paul says that every human being born, every human being born, is, belongs in one of two camps. The camp of slaves of sin or the camp of Slaves of righteousness. To which our modern minds go, heck no, I'm a slave to no one. I'm free. Nobody tells me what to do. I bow to nobody. Well, perhaps if you don't listen to Paul, maybe we can listen to Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan eloquently, and in only the way which he can, wrote a song that exposes the, the fundamental reality that we experience. I'm not going to sing it like him, okay? So, But here we go. Might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. Might have money and drugs at your commands. Women in a cage. You might be a businessman or some high degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. 
You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. We all serve somebody. The only question is what, or rather who, do we serve with our lives? This morning we're going to see that the Christian has much to be thankful for. God has, has set us free from slavery to sin, which leads to death. And he's, he's freed us now that we may gladly serve him. For in Christ we, we are become, we've become slaves of righteousness. That's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to look at four areas really quick. We're going to investigate the bondage, the emancipation, the commitment, and the stakes. The bondage, the emancipation, the commitment, and the stakes. First, the bondage. This, this point can maybe be titled uh, the tale of two masters. Paul's point here is that all of humanity falls into these one or two camps, either slaves of sin or slaves of righteousness. In our passage, just like last week, Paul says, do you not know? But this time he says, do you not know that you're no longer a slave to sin, but rather you are now a slave to Christ? Now, in our passage, he says in, in a number of different ways, right? In verse 16, he says, we are, he says we are either slaves of sin or slaves of obedience. In verses 17 through 18, he says we're either slaves of sin or slaves of righteousness. In verses 20 to 22, he says we're either slaves of sin or we are slaves to God. Now, if you, if you won't listen to Bob Dylan or Paul, maybe you'll listen to Jesus Christ. Here's what he said. He said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Jesus saw the dichotomy clearly, but not so much the modern man. Our modern minds take exception to this dichotomy. Our modern minds reject any suggestion that we're in bondage to anyone or anything. We demand that we are truly free. People think they serve no master. Here's how Becky Pippert illuminates it, though. She writes, Whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lords of our lives. What's the Lord of your life? What would your friends, what would your spouse, what would people close to you say would be the thing that controls and directs your life most? If you're not sure, look at your checkbook, look at your calendar. Look at what you think about when you wake up first thing in the morning. What controls your heart and your mind? You think they serve you? You serve them. You see, we like to think that the further we move away from God, the more freedom we have. But the reality is, the more we move away from serving God, the closer we draw to serving another master one which whispers many sweet promises, but will never deliver. A master that will always leave us wanting more. My friend, sin is a horrible taskmaster. The heroin addict needs an ever-increasing dose, right? The porn addict craves ever-increasing perversity. The successful businessman craves ever-increasing success. The beautiful woman craves ever-increasing beauty. There is no end to it. 
Well, actually, there is. In the end, Paul says, all slavery to sin ends in death. He writes in verse 16, he says, you are slaves of the one you obey. Either, see where he's going? Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Paul is saying this, not to prove that we serve something, but for us to ask the question, who is it that I serve? Do you obey sin? Do you find yourself making excuses for sin, downplaying it, acting as if it isn't all that important? Well, then you're a slave to sin. Do you obey righteousness and make no excuses for your sin? Do you trust upon the grace of God? Well, then you are Christ's servant. Your life belongs to him. We're all in bondage to one of two masters. To whom do you belong? That's the bondage. Now the emancipation. You know, Paul does something a little odd here. Perhaps we over we would overlook it. Um, I would have perhaps overlooked it if it wasn't in my commentary. <laughs> Good thing I read books, huh? Um, in talking about slavery and bondage to sin or righteousness, Paul, Paul starts breaks into a doxology. He breaks into thanksgiving. How appropriate, huh? Verse seventeen and eighteen. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Paul's thankful for a couple of points. First, he's he's thankful that the Christians in Rome, that their slavery has ended. How did it end? Instead of remaining obedient to sin, he says they have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which they were committed. What's he saying? What's he saying here? Paul, Paul is saying that if you've experienced conversion, it began with the body of truth, the standards of teaching to which you have now committed to, you've become obedient to. You see, the gospel isn't just a suggestion. The gospel is truth. And not just truth to be believed in our heads, but truth to be acted upon, truth to be obeyed. The gospel is not a suggestion. It's a command. When Jesus said, repent and be baptized, those are imperatives, those are commands. It's not a suggestion. The proper response to the gospel has always been obedience. There, and there is a standard of teaching that we, that we obey, that we come to. Paul also says this is an obedience from the heart. That is, this is beautiful. It's not an outward, rigid compliance. But rather, it's a, a new heart with love for Christ. Why? Because he first loved us. And he has pledged to forever love us. It's because of this new heart that God creates in all people that he's given life in Christ. It's there that our obedience blossoms and we bear the fruit of righteousness. It's from the heart. So Paul first emphasizes that we're thankful that though we were once slaves of sin, we now have new hearts that commit with gratitude to honor Christ in all we do. If you're a Christian here, you've You've done that. 
I'm not saying that this morning you're not maybe feeling a little sense of guilt for maybe not doing it enough. Remember, we're under grace. Paul is saying these words so that we would remember where our life is found. Next, Paul is thankful that, he says, that having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. Christian, what does it mean that God has set you free from sin to become slaves of righteousness? Paul here is indicating that the Christian now has a new purpose in his or her life. And therefore, there's a a new standard of, of behavior that's required. See, what is God doing? Raise your hand if you don't know. That's probably a lot of us, right? What really is God doing? What's his, what's going on in the world right now? I hope you have eyes to see it. God is putting the world to rights. God is putting the world back to rights. The Bible, when properly understood, is one big story of God's redeeming love. One big story of his victory over sin and death. One big story of God making the world right again. And a world remade in rightness is a world that's arrayed in righteousness. Now, righteousness is not a word that's really used much in modern society. Our our minds get distracted with connotations of self-righteousness. And of course, self-righteousness is repugnant. But righteousness... Oh, godly righteousness. It's, it's like honey on the lips. It's a good thing. It's a desirable thing. God is putting the world to rights. And one day all evil and unrighteousness will be gone. And all of this life's trauma will seem but a distant nightmare. This is what God is doing. It's about rightness and righteousness flourishing on earth. Do you see that? God is actively and passionately busy. He's busy setting the world right, renewing the world in righteousness. This is God's vision and mission, even now. Now, Christian, does it not make sense that since God has set you free and brought you into his glorious family, Does it not make sense that when God emancipated you from the bondage of sin, that you too would now share in his vision and mission? You now have a new master, and his work is your work. You've been set free from sin and set free to righteousness. You know, if you were a slave to a candlemaker, Is it not true your life would be devoted to the success of your master's business? If you were a slave to a farmer, would not your life be devoted to the success of your master's farm? How much more so, Christian, are you bound up in the success of your new master? Christian, you've been emancipated from sin for righteousness. Remember Jesus' words? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You know, Christian, before receiving this new heart and the Holy Spirit within, 
you were a slave to sin. You could not help but do it. And you made all kinds of excuses for it. You were blind to the reality of your own life. But God, through his Son, has set you free. One time Jesus was surrounded by a large group of religious Pharisees, many of whom wanted Jesus dead. And they were bragging about being sons of Abraham and how great they were because of all the good things they did. Jesus used it as a teaching moment for some of his followers. Perhaps you remember, it's John chapter 8. Picking up John's word. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, listen to what he says, if you abide in my word, you, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? See, no one wants to admit it, right? We're all slaves to something. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Prior to God's emancipation, you were in bondage to sin. You couldn't help but doing it. But then Jesus sets you free, and you are free indeed. Sin no longer has dominion over you. I'm not, I'm not saying that you won't sin. You will. But, but the shackles have been broken. Where once before you had no idea that you were even bowing in slavery to sin, now you love God and you delight in his emancipation. You've been set free. Free to live a God-pleasing, God-honoring, joy-filled life. This brings us now to the commitment. 1998, the movie The Mask of Zorro uh, came out. And in The Mask of Zorro, there's actually two Zorros. Uh, you can watch it on Netflix or Amazon. Uh, Anthony Hopkins played the aging Zorro, Don Diego de la Vega. And then Antonio Banderas, oh, uh, he plays the young Zorro. His name is Alejandro Murrieta. I've been practicing my Spanish. Um, Hopkins' character, Don Diego, finds Alejandro drunk in a bar. Alejandro is raging in anger. He sees Captain Love, the guy who killed his brother. In a fit of rage, he wants to go try to kill him dead. Alejandro didn't recognize Zorro without his mask, but Zorro intervenes and says, that's just not such a good idea. <laughs> you might be brave for a moment, but then you'll be dead. <laughs> Don Diego emancipates Alejandro from a life in the gutter, and he promises to train and prepare him to be a triumphant force for justice, not just a bitter, angry man hell-bent on revenge. Now, at one point in the movie, after the ups and downs of this rigorous training, he turns to Don Diego, and he presents himself to his master. He pledges his devo devotion and allegiance to serving Zorro and Zorro's great overarching cause of justice and righteousness. Alejandro presented himself, body, soul, uh, heart, to the life and the work of his master. It was only then that he too now was free to wear the mask of Zorro. 
What does this have to do with anything? Okay, in a similar way, <laughs> you're not getting mass as you leave this morning, sorry. In a similar way, God has set us free so that we can commit, so we can present ourselves to Christ. He describes it in verse 19. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Paul's saying you once presented your members to sin. That's, to, to remember from last week, the members, that, that's, that's our heart, our head, our minds. It's all of who we are. It's our feet, it's our arms, it's our tongues, it's the things we think and say and do. We, we're to present all of our lives to Christ. But he says at one point, we presented ourselves to uh, the ways of lawlessness and living a life apart from Christ. Paul is saying with that same zeal that you went after the lawlessness, the same zeal that you woke up excited uh, to serve your master money or relationships or sex or fame or whatever it is. With that same zeal, you now are to present yourself to Christ, uh, to, to, to give of all of who you are to him as your master, that he may now be the one who you live for, the one who graciously, kindly directs you in the paths of your life. My friends, we need to understand something. Christ has freed you. He has freed you indeed. But he's not freed you to run off and chase after whatever your own little heart desires. That's to go back to the old way of living. He has freed you so that you may follow him and find your life in him. You belong to God. Christ is now your Lord. See, Christian, Paul says a so now has occurred in your life. So now, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. John Stott points out, I'm going to kind of summarize him, that Paul is dramatically emphasizing that conversion is an act of self-surrender to Christ. And this self-surrender to Christ invariably leads to slavery, a new slavery, a slavery that demands all. Stott says it's a total, radical, exclusive obedience. Why? For no one can be a slave of two masters. And so the Christians, Christians have presented themselves permanently and unconditionally at the disposal of Christ. He is our new master. Now, The point is that having chosen your new master, you are now to serve him. That's the point. And this is how Paul is able to answer the question. Remember how we began with the question? It would be nice to finally get to the answer, right? Back to Paul's opening question. How is it that Christians won't continue in sin all the while taking God's grace for granted? How is it that's not going to happen in the life of the Christian? Well, it's because we have a new master and we've pledged our obedience to him. And our master is leading us away from sin towards righteousness. So how could we ever find ourselves trapped by it again? We've left that master for a new one. That's the commitment. Now for the stakes. The last four verses of our passage show us that the stakes are high. It's as if Paul is presenting us with two paths to follow in life. 
There's the path of slavery to sin, which yields rotten fruit in this lifetime and ultimately death and eternal separation from God. And the path of slavery to righteousness, which leads to a fruitful life. And then in the end, eternal life in the age to come. Look at verses 20 through 22. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But check this out. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things which you are ashamed of is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. The stakes are high. There's two different paths. Paul says that on the path marked by slavery to sin, the person is free in regard to righteousness. What does he mean by that? Well, the person apart from Christ is free with regards to righteousness. They serve a different master. They don't serve righteousness. They serve sin. It has a hold over you. A person trapped this way has no desire for righteousness. The fruit of their lives, which should cause them to hang their heads in shame, they're kind of proud of, or maybe they make excuses for. You won't be ashamed of those things until God sets you free in Christ. And so Paul reminds the Christians in Rome and us here today that they've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. And now the fruit that the Christian yields is wonderful stuff. Lives that are more and more sanctified, that is made more and more righteous and holy. It's true, isn't it? If if God's mission is that the world would be made right, and if we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then this path God places us on, it's a good thing, right? It is, isn't it? We're to rejoice that we are on it. There's nothing more fulfilling than to be part of something great and grand that transcends us. A great and glorious good that we've been drawn into. We have a master who is leading us on this path. Paul ends with the ultimate description of the difference between these two paths. It's a great verse. Perhaps you should memorize it. uh, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What are wages? They're payments for the work you do, right? At the end of the week, the end of the month, you expect to get paid for your wages. The problem with slavery to sin and the path that you're on is um, that you really do earn wages. And the payment in full is death. The master named Sin pays all his slaves their fair due. And he pays on time. But God gives. He gives freely. (laughs) Eternal life. To all who trust in Christ. Christian, you've been given a gift. It's a free gift. Eternal life in Christ. In Christ. There it is again. That union with Christ. Have you guys been reading your Bibles this week and you're seeing it there? In Christ. Your eternal life is hidden in Christ. It's kept there for you. He he took the wages of your sin upon himself. 
And he's taken that away from you. And the result of that is peace with God. And the eternal life that Christ has is now yours. Christ died so that your life wouldn't be a dead end. Does that make sense? And did you notice the last two words of Paul on this subject? He says, our Lord. God's gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's the one we serve. He is our beloved master. There is no one greater in heaven or on earth that we could ever begin to want to serve other than Christ. He is the good shepherd who leads us. He is the master who doesn't make our service feel like slavery. He makes our slavery feel like freedom. All right, Christian, this is uh, Thanksgiving Sunday. Let us know what God has done. He has emancipated us from slavery to sin. We now have a new master. Do you see your life this way? You have a new master. Your life is not your own. Paul said you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We have a new master, but not an iron-fisted tyrant, but rather one who served and sacrificed his life for you and for me. The one who said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Your master is the one who said, come to me, all who are who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Our master's highest good is to create heaven's greatest good in you and me. I don't know about you, that's a good thing. I want to I follow a master like that. Let us commit ourselves afresh to our Lord each day. And when temptation raises its, its ugly head, and it will, may we say with Paul, Heck no, you are no longer my master. I obey my new Lord. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He has placed me on a new path, the path away from sin and death, the path of righteousness that leads to life. And may we, when we are tempted, hear our shepherd master and turn to him and hear his voice. And may we bow once again to his gracious rule over our lives. And may we follow him on the narrow road that leads to life. Let's pray. Father, it is true. As we look with new hearts, as we look with your spirit upon your word, we see the dichotomy. We see the two paths. 
We thank you that you have given us new life, that in Christ we have been set free. Sin no longer has dominion over us. We now stand in grace. Christ, there is no greater servant that we could ever begin to pledge our allegiance to. So we give our hearts to you afresh this morning. We commit to you. We say, have your way in us. Lead us in the way of righteousness. For your name's sake, we pray. Amen.